Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Living with XXY podcast series. I'm your host, Ryan Briganti. So today I have a mom named Allison who has a son who's 20 months old who was diagnosed prenatally. What's going on? How are you? Hey, Ryan. How's it going? Doing well. Um, so, I mean, it's been fun just getting to know you a little bit, talking about your story, and let's kind of dive into why did you decide to do um, NIPT testing when you were pregnant? Yeah, so pregnancy for me, um, I found out when I was 36, and it was a complete and total surprise. I had been told for a really long time that naturally I probably wouldn't get pregnant because of things in in my body. (laughs) So um, it was a complete shock and a complete surprise. And um, when I went to the doctor, they recommended doing the non-invasive prenatal testing because of my age. So as we've heard from other guests, but um, past the age of 35 for women, they recommend that. And I was most excited to just find out the sex. So I did it at about 10 weeks pregnant. And it took a couple of weeks for our results to come back. And the doctor called us and it was the way our doctor approached it. I really appreciated because I think our experience was a little bit different than maybe some others. And he gave us the information and really, really did it in a way that was, um, positive. It wasn't, it didn't raise any kind of alarm bells for us. He said, uh, so there is a probability on here. We're looking at, you know, uh, 80% range for XXY. And he kind of left it at, I don't have all the answers. So let me, let me do some research on my own and, and let me get back to you with, better information. He didn't try to to explain it right away. And he also didn't really scare us. Um, So of course I come home and then I'm Googling everything. And like everyone else, uh, it's like, stay away from Google. And I felt like even reading through stuff, um, I could tell a lot of the information was old it was pretty inconsistent. It was kind of all over the board, even reading some of the medical journal studies and kind of that heavier um, material. It, it seemed not complete, but I could tell just based on what I was reading that men with XXY had long life expectancies. Um, most men lived with XXY without even knowing it. Many, you know, were, weren't diagnosed until adulthood and they were looking for starting families of their own. And so there weren't any, I, I wasn't reading into the negative things out there too seriously, at least until I talked to my doctor again. And there wasn't anything, I mean, that test, it, there was no result that would have come back on that test that would have changed my mind about having Theodore. (laughs) So my, my whole mind and body was on having that baby. And no matter what, he was such a blessing, such, 
this unexpected, amazing surprise. So I was all in from the jump and, and nothing was going to change my mind about it. And so when you, after you did the research and when your doctor came back, how, like how much time from learning about the pots, the possibility of having this, did, did he mention like amnio or CVS to do confirmation in utero or were you kind of just set on finding out afterwards? So, um, the way that he brought it up and, and I guess I, I need to explain something because our doctor, we live in a really, um, rural area and he is amazing. I mean, this doctor is someone, in, someone that I wish like everybody could have <laughs> and what he says, I like fully believe and support and stand by. So as far as amniocentesis and doing something more invasive, um, he flat out just was like, I would not recommend this. And it can put your pregnancy at risk. Um, you know, we had already had the conversations of no matter what the test results, like abortion was just not an option for me. And it wasn't ever a thought in my mind. So when those things came up, it was just his recommendation of no, I would not recommend you doing this. And I was fine with that. I, I didn't want to, um, I don't think I would have considered it unless it was something that he was like, yes, I feel like you really need to do this. Um, and that is just the trust that I put in my doctor. And I know not everybody has that relationship with their doctor. Um, as far as getting the results and talking to him about information. We did have a secondary appointment on like another follow-up and he had done some research on Kleinfelters on his own and really just the, the conversation again, being positive and your son is going to have a long, happy life. And there's nothing that I'm really seeing that is cause for concern, cause for any kind of concern about quality of life. Um, you know, in, enjoy your pregnancy. And this is something that uh, you should not stress about. And as far as talking to a genetics counselor specifically about our results, I will say he recommended waiting to do that until after diagnosis had been confirmed at birth and waiting until Theodore had actually been born. And I would highly recommend that <laughs> to anyone and just waiting to talk to a genetics counselor because um, even having that conversation after Thea was born, it was a lot of information to process and digest. And definitely, I wish I had just sought out a specialist who knew specifically about Kleinfelters versus going through a genetics counselor who kind of just prints off all this information and throws it on your lap and you have to figure out what to do with it. Um, so I will say he recommended not doing that until after birth. Um, do you think that um, with all the Googling you did and all the, the finding of the information that you did on your own and then once you met with your genetic counselor after he was born, do you feel like you knew just as much information or if not more than the genetic counselor? No, I honestly, it's been such a learning process. So for me, I kind of felt like 
I've gone through all of it pretty blindly and it's been a learning experience, not only for me, but for my doctor, for some of the specialists that we've seen and talked to. And um, Theo continues to like amaze me every day. <laughs> so I think as far as the information that was out there that I was Googling, I didn't give it a lot of weight. And I think so like a little bit of background for me is when I was in college, I was a psychology major. I did um, a lot of genetics specific coursework. And I remember it being kind of a blurb in a genetics class of Kleinfelter. So I'd, I'd heard it, I needed a refresher, but going through and like then reading medical studies to me, I could pretty easily pick out that these were, were studies that were done with men who were typically diagnosed later in life. There weren't a lot of controls. It was hard to sit there and say, like, what is actually Kleinfelter's versus what is maybe other factors and a lot of things that just weren't being taken into account and coming to conclusions that it's like, well, how did you really get to that point if you're not, if you don't have a complete picture? So I took it with a grain of salt because there were a lot of things out there that, yeah, it sounds scary, but it's like, well, if it's one small group and one small population and we're looking at these men later in life and we don't know all of the information, like, can we really say that that's Kleinfelter's? Maybe, maybe not, you know, it's not a complete picture. So I guess I'm grateful for that background when I was Googling things because I took it with a grain of salt and then talking to specialists throughout that first year when we were making appointments with Theodore, um, they just kind of echoed that. And hey, a lot of this information out here, you have to understand these are older studies or the information's not complete or it's a really small population that we're looking at that exhibits this one thing. Um, so it's not, it's not a guarantee. And like we've kind of talked about, um, but Kleinfelter is being on a spectrum. So there really is this wide variety of things that, that could maybe show up someday, but there's no guarantee in any of it. So when you got diagnosed, um, prenatally, um, and you did the research, um, was it something that you told family and friends about this possibility? Did you talk to anyone close to you or are you on your own with this? Yeah. So my partner, Adam and I, we had talked about it and sat down and, and Googled things. And then I talked to my parents and his parents and best friends. And I just kind of was like, this came back and everybody was very supportive and everybody was kind of doing their own Google research and, Hey, I read this or, Hey, I found this article. So we were all kind of like sharing information. Um, but across the board, it was like, Theo's going to be amazing and he's going to be healthy and he's going to have a long life and you're going to be an awesome mom and like, don't worry about it. Um, so it was, positive from the start and never anything that I felt like we needed to hide from anyone. We've been very open with friends and family about it. And um, 
you know, they, they love Theo and that was never going to change any way that anybody felt about him. So can you kind of describe enjoying your pregnancy since it was this miracle in a, in a sense and that you were able yeah. to just go on and kind of, um, you know, enjoy it? So I wish I could say that, Ryan. Um, and this is no fault of Theo or Kleinfelters or anything, but I am one of those people who he was a miracle and oh my gosh, I love him so much, but I hated being pregnant. I was so sick. I had, I was just uncomfortable. It was like hot. It was, it was awful. And pregnant in like a Kansas summer is the worst. <laughs> like There's no, no break from the heat. Um, so I just, I, I wasn't into it. You know, I loved him. I was so grateful for him, but the overall pregnancy experience for me was just hard. I was, I was incredibly sick. I had to go on medication because I was so sick for a long portion of it. Um, and that finally helped. I had issues with my weight. I mean, it just was kind of all over the place and it was, it was me, my body, and how it was reacting to pregnancy. It had nothing to do with Theo or Kleinfelters. It was just me personally. I kind of had a rough go of it. Um, so by the time he came, I was very excited to meet him and not be pregnant anymore. <laughs> so what was that? What was that day like for you? So I had a planned C-section, and that was something just based on um, my body and everything that I had planned from the start with my doctor. So he was scheduled. He came out right on time. Um, we had just this magical moment in the hospital of that initial, you know, skin to skin contact. And it's just such a hard feeling to describe. And I kept just saying like, I just want to see him. I just want to see him. <laughs> and so when I finally got to see him, it was amazing. I mean, I can't even, I can't even describe that. So, um, and then I, I will say the one takeaway from the hospital that I would also say to just hold off on is actually doing the blood work to confirm diagnosis. So when babies are born, Doctors are like picking on them and prodding on them and doing all kinds of tests and checking everything. And I really wish that we had waited to do that additional blood work to confirm diagnosis until at least a couple of weeks later, because it was just a lot on him, but it also was a lot for me to see my baby just being prodded on. And so I, I would just caution parents, you know, like wait to confirm diagnosis, give yourself a couple of weeks with your baby at home and then do that blood work because they're doing a lot of tests as it is on a newborn baby. And so that was kind of a rough patch in the hospital of them actually coming in and doing the blood work to confirm. Um, did, just because it was a lot, it was, it was a lot of blood. <laughs> did they offer, actually wait, did, could they, I don't know if they can, can they do cord blood with a, uh, with a C-section? I don't even, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not sure about that well, answer. I don't know, but it wasn't an option that we were given. Okay. They came in and did it and, you know, it was a couple of vials and on top of that, he'd already had some other, you know, tests done. So it just, to me, seeing him get picked on and 
I remember crying about it. <laughs> and I was like, I probably cried more than he cried, but it was a lot and a lot for a new mom and a newborn baby in the hospital. So I just say, you know, like give it a, give it a couple of weeks, do it on your follow-up visit with your doctor. Like it's, it's not necessarily something they have to do as soon as the baby is born. I wish I had waited until we went to our follow-up. Yeah. I think, I think parents, because uh, the parents that don't just that decide not to do a CVS or an amnio in utero, um, some of them are really eager to find the diagnosis because there are a lot of baby forms out there that say there's a lot of false positives with NIPT testing and and things. So some of the parents that have a, a harder time or whether their doctor, and it, like you said, you had a really good experience with your doctor, which we wish everyone would ha- would be able to have. And more people out there that have positive experiences, we want them to share to let people know that there are like people like you that have that have gone through that. So it's like, I think it's based on how they were told or how, you know, there might be a little bit more franticness in the air with people that are, you know, being told in a negative way that we're told like to terminate their kids. They kind of want to know ASAP. Um, But that's a good, that's good, like personal experience from your perspective of like, you wish you waited because it was just such a watching, watching that I could only, I could, I couldn't even imagine like watching that and just one less thing that they'd have to do. Yeah. And for that time in the hospital, you know, you're there for a couple of days and everyone's in recovery mode and you're trying to like, just get used to each other. And so I felt like too, it was another piece of that time that I, I had nurses in and they were like messing with him and then more nurses came and then the doctor came and it just like cut into that quality time of us bonding. And so to me, it was like not even a thought in my mind. And the doctor came in and was like, we're going to send them in to do the blood work to confirm the genetic test. And I was just kind of like, oh yeah, you know, I wasn't even, it it wasn't in a, a priority in my mind. And I understand why he did it. I, I just wish now knowing what I know and kind of going through that experience that I would have just waited until our next appointment, you know, the follow-up in a week or two weeks, whatever it was with the doctor. And I feel like it would have been a lot less stressful for everybody. Yeah. That you bring up a good point with that. I think every single mother I've talked to where they've kept their kid, they've had their kid. We've talked about, um, did they feel, did they think about Kleinfelder syndrome at any moment during or after the pregnant, like when their baby was brought in this world and every single mom says, no, like it, it, Kleinfelder syndrome was not present in that moment. Like we were just enjoying the moment for what it was like, just absolutely blown away on how beautiful and amazing the boys are. And, and then I also asked the same question to all the guys who actually have XXY that got diagnosed later that are trying that, that go down the donor sperm route. Um, and all of them talk about like, before they think about like not being the father of this child, like all these things. And they have the same exact feelings as the mothers do having these boys is that when their kids come into the world, they don't think that they're not this per this, this child's father. They don't think anything about their diagnosis. It like completely just goes away. And they're, they're like, Oh my God, I'm a parent. I'm a dad, like, or I'm a mom. And it's an incredible experience to be able to like, to have that. It's, amazing. And it's something that I had just written out of my life. Like 
kids are not a part of my journey. I had been so career oriented and like my whole life just, it changed and it changed in such an amazing way. And it is this incredible feeling that is just hard to describe, but I didn't care about anything. It was like, here is this baby. I can finally see his face. I want to just look at him and snuggle him and nothing else matters. <laughs> so kind of leading into, you know, you said he came and got blood work done. How long did it take from getting the blood work to getting the, getting the results back? So I can't, I can't remember this for sure, but I want to say by the time we had our follow-up appointment, I can't remember if it was that one week or two weeks after discharge that they had the results. And again, the doctor just, he, he said, here's what I would do. Here's what I would recommend talking to a genetics counselor at this point. And this is what I would do if it was my child. Um, so, you know, we've confirmed diagnosis that Theo does have XXY. And so the next step would be that we refer you to a genetic specialist to talk to them more. And so we, we did that and, and we went through the steps of, we got set up with a genetics counselor when Theo was about two months old, we did a Zoom appointment with them. And again, this is kind of one of those things like looking back on it, um, I think I already said, I wish I would have gone just directly to someone who was a specialist with Kleinfelter specifically because our genetics counselor was a very nice person um, and she kind of prepped us ahead of talking to us that, listen, this is going to be a lot of information and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, like, I'm sorry to do this to you, but I've got to present all of this to you. And it's like they just went and printed off every page from Google and it's like some guy at some point had this one thing. So we've got to put it on the sheet. And so, yeah, it was an overwhelming amount of information. And really until that point, you know, Kleinfelters, it hadn't even been a focus for me. And then now I've got a two month old and a stack of papers from a genetics counselor of like, this is all the stuff that could maybe come up in his life. And I'm looking at it going, oh my God, you know? And I think that's where the stress set in for me. And, oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? How do I prepare for this? How do I like protect him? How do I set him up for success? Like, what do I need to do? And I'm very much like action oriented, detail oriented. So the genetics specialist did give us um, a recommendation for kind of what the first year looked like and what specialists they recommended to go see and what doctors and what kind of visits. And so really I did follow that criteria. And I remember Googling and looking online and it was like, I just wanted to know someone else's experience. Like what did that first year look like? And so I'm hoping in sharing our first year that that is helpful for moms out there because 
it was stressful. And now that I'm on the other side of it, I can say like, don't stress about it. It's not worth it. <laughs> but at the time it felt so overwhelming and it felt like a lot. And I just didn't want anything to be wrong with him. Um, and so I was going off of, I felt like a lot of bad information delivered to me from a really nice lady, you know, who was just doing her job, but it was overwhelming. It scared me. And at that point when Theo was like two months old is when I started to worry and stress out about Kleinfelters. And it really consumed that first year of, of his life. And like my stress around, okay, we've got to meet with this person. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. And I wish I could just tell moms like, don't, don't be me. <laughs> don't do that to yourself. Enjoy that first year. Enjoy all of those moments and don't let the stress overwhelm you. Um, did you, but, did you start doing, did you start looking into like early intervention and, and like services of like occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy? Like, did you kind of go down that wormhole? So we're, Yes, we're in process actually doing that now that he's a little older. Where we started at, so after we talked to the genetics counselor, we got set up with a cardiologist. And uh, that was like our next big appointment. So that was interesting in the fact that our cardiologist was amazing. You know, he told us based on these early genetic tests that he's seeing more and more infants and young children with Kleinfelters than he had ever seen in his however many years. And all of these kids are fine. <laughs> it's like, everybody's fine. There was like one study done a long time ago that showed a small group of men who had this particular like heart condition. And I mean, he really didn't put much weight into there being a connection there. Um, as far as heart conditions and Kleinfelters. Now for us, it was like family history and I have a long family history of heart issues and heart problems. So that wasn't any big inconvenience, but it's an appointment that I would say, you know, each person should probably talk to their doctor about to see if that's something worth exploring. Um, as far as the, the next set of appointments, that was with an endocrinologist and um, then going to the, the genetic center to see their um, occupational therapy group. And the occupational therapists, they were looking at, you know, milestones, which at that point we'd seen primary care. Theo was hitting every mark. They were very happy to see him where he was at. He, you know, checked all the boxes and they told us, if you want to come back in a couple of years, we can reevaluate, but really he's looking great. Um, they commented on low muscle tone and basically in a baby that's like squishy. <laughs> he is just very squishy and lots of rolls, but it didn't, it wasn't really affecting his mobility. Anything that he was delayed on, it was very minor delays and he was very much on track. Um, so endocrinology though was a huge appointment for us. And I think this is the one I would highlight for anyone 
because our endocrinologist had knowledge in working specifically with kids um, with Kleinfelters and specifically with infants with Kleinfelters and early hormone therapy. So that was something he recommended to us for Theodore based on, he, he ran a few tests just looking at um, where his testosterone levels were at um, for genital size and then for his overall growth charts. And based on that information, he recommended we did three testosterone shots, one per month. Um, and that was at, uh, we did the shots when he was about 10, 11, and 12 months. So the, I guess knowing what I know now, for me, I wish I'd had that appointment sooner because the endocrinologist indicated the earlier that you do the hormone treatments, the better chance of seeing results, or I guess the better the results are. It mimics um, what happens in XY boys as far as this kind of Kickstarter little boost of testosterone when boys are born. And that doesn't always happen in XXY boys. So the testosterone basically mimics this natural response that occurs and helps with things like <clears throat> muscles and skeletal growth and mobility. Um, for us, we definitely saw those improvements, even though we, I guess, technically did it a little later than what we should have. Um, but we still saw that his mobility improved. I mean, he was kind of gearing up to walk, but I fully believe that helped him be walking on his first birthday um, and just helping with his his strength and the way that he was able to move around the space and really explore the space. Um, and it also helped with his uh, penis size. And so that was something he was measuring on the low to normal range. And now I think he's in the normal range. So in uh, earlier, we kind of just to let people know that are listening, like earlier you mentioned spectrum. And so with Kleinfelder syndrome and with the, yeah. you know, with the baby testosterone, there, there's a spectrum of, of kids that, um, from what I know from Shanley Davis, who's the endocrinologist at, um, the extraordinary kids clinic in Denver, Colorado. Um, she talks about how like there's this mini puberty. Um, and I don't know a ton about it just cause a lot of it is so much medical information. Um, and I only have a, I only have so much time in my day to, to, to help yeah, this community. I um, but that it's, there's this mini puberty and some of the kids don't need it. And some of the kids do. And, and there's, I know that they have a study that's been, it's, it's a longitudinal study and it's going to be ongoing to kind of track these kids who receive TRT or who receive placebo and to track their results. Um, I do know that outside of the XXY community, um, doctors do give testosterone to kids with micropenis, um, unrelated to XXY. And that, that does help. Like, like you just said, it, it does. So just, I mean, and this is your personal experience, which is incredible for you to share and, and to do so much detail. I, I have a question. Um, what, like there, there's no guide for client, like, because it's a spectrum, there's no like dummies guide for Kleinfelder syndrome, or there's no book out there that says like, do this, do that. When the genetic counselor kind of scared you, 
how did you go about finding like a pediatric endocrinologist, a cardiologist? Like what, what, how did you go down that route of building a team around your son? So this was again, where we relied on our primary care physician and he, for us being in a rural part of the state, he recommended us to, um, children's mercy. And there was an outreach here locally for cardiology, but we actually had to travel for the occupational therapy and endocrinology appointments. So when we met with the endocrinologist, you know, that was like four hours away <laughs> and we, we kind of scheduled everything and timed it so we could do that and the, the physical therapy appointment around the same dates um, since we were traveling. Um, and then when we did the early hormone treatments, so the the prescription came from the endocrinologist but our primary care physician actually administered those shots so we were able to do that locally and in their office and that was something they had never done before so that was a piece of it that was a learning curve for everyone and i i guess the thing that it took me a minute to wrap my head around it because you're talking to an endocrinologist and they're telling you they recommend giving testosterone to an infant and you're like sitting there going, what? This is crazy. That makes no sense. What? You know? So I had to kind of take a minute out of that appointment and really think about what he had to say. And I think the biggest takeaway of understanding Kleinfelters for me anyways, at that stage and, and making the decision to give Theodore those shots is Kleinfelter's affects testosterone production. It hinders the body's ability to naturally produce testosterone at the levels that it's supposed to. So when you cut it down to just bare basic of an an XY boy at birth and in infancy would be producing this little boost of, of testosterone. That is essentially what we're trying to mimic because XXY boys aren't able to do that on their own. So this is kind of tricking the body a little bit into this, this response that occurs in XY boys. And when you think about it in those terms, and also just talking to the endocrinologist and my doctor on the dosage is so small, like the, the side effects that they were worried about were more around like a reaction at the injection site versus like some kind of early onset puberty or something like that. They were like, this is such a small amount and it's one shot spaced out over, um, you know, a month's period and you're only getting three of them. Um, you know, the, the biggest reaction that they were looking at was making sure something weird wasn't happening as far as around the injection site. So I guess, it's, it's ultimately a decision that every parent needs to make with their doctor based on what their kids, you know, hormone levels look like. For us, it was a recommendation from a doctor that I wholeheartedly trusted and something that I feel like we saw benefit from. And I would 
you know, not change that. Yeah. And that's, and that's awesome that, you know, for living where you guys live in the middle of nowhere and having access, you know, usually it's like you have to live in a big city or near a big city in order to find doctors and knowledgeable people about these, you know, rare, rare conditions. Um, even though Kleinfelder syndrome is rarely diagnosed, it's not all that rare. Um, but the fact that you live out in the middle of nowhere and you have access to this kind of care is like, man, I wish someone like that, you know, lived. It's awesome that you have that, but I wish that someone like that would live, you know, closer to these big cities and, and has, has that approach on, um, on the positive aspect. And then you as a mom, like doing your due diligence of, of looking at the information, but taking it with a grain of salt, realizing like, well, this study has like 30 people in it, especially when you read the medical journals. Like when you really dive into those things, they can get really negative and really toxic really fast. And the studies, you know, most of them are so old, like the seventies, the eighties, there might be one or two in the early two thousands. And they're, they're based purely off of medical questionnaires or testing that they possibly did in person. Um, and, like you, like you were saying, like, it's not, it's a spectrum and it's not a representation of every single individual in our community. Um, and I think those are the things that when parents are diagnosed in utero, those are the things that they read right up front, or those are the things that genetic counselors tell them right up front, or their doctors, you learned about it 30 years ago in medical school and they learned like, oh, we're more likely to be criminals and like all these other things that they learned back in the day. And they haven't touched based like they, like your doctor, like he's like, well, I didn't, don't know much about it. I need to, I need to learn a little bit about it. Like they don't, they don't get that diagnosis all that often, but now that non-invasive prenatal testing is out there, it's becoming more and more common. And so like for us, for, for our organization, it's like we're on a race against time. Um, the more parents like you and they want to find the sex of their baby or they want to, you know, get those results because they're considered geriatric over 35, um, yeah. <laughs> which is, which is all uh, another issue with it itself. But, um, they, they really, <clears throat> they're really like run a race against that time of that clock ticking of like, there's not enough people open and talking about it, talking about the amazing things. And, um, there's not enough guys out there talking about it. And so no one really knows about it. So then the information isn't changing fast enough for mothers like you in utero that are learning, you know, when you're pregnant and giving, giving mothers those options of like termination and, and abortion. And like, this isn't life threatening and most of us live happy and healthy lives. Um, and you know, it's that, and it's just, I'm thankful that you had like a, you have had a good experience. Yeah. And I know that that's not everyone's experience, but I think it's so important. Like as a mom in finding a doctor who you trust, who you can talk to, if you don't like your primary care doctor, change your doctor. Like, I mean, I, I literally live in the middle of nowhere and I, I got very lucky. I know my resources are limited out here, but um, the experience would have no doubt been different had I not had a doctor who was positive, who I trusted, who I could talk very openly with. And he also knew when it was time to hand it over to somebody else. So he referred us to other professionals and other specialists and people who could answer our questions and help us 
more when it was out of his wheelhouse. Um, so I appreciate that too. And him being able to take a step back and say, look, I'm not an expert on here, but let's find you somebody who is, or let's send you here. And they're going to give you the information that you need. Um, and I just, it makes me sick and it makes me so sad to think of moms getting those results back and then being del delivered in a way that's a negative. Um, and, and thinking like, I can't imagine my life without Theodore and I can't imagine a world without Theodore. I think he is just this incredible being. And I've said time and time again, you know, it's an extra X chromosome doesn't scare me. My ability to parent and support him, set him up for success like the onus is on me. It's not on him. And it's confidence in myself to parent him and support him. The extra X chromosome, it's like, I don't, I don't care about that at all. Every kid is unique. Every kid has their own set of challenges. You know, it's this whole back to basics of the nature versus nurture and what holds more weight. And I think every day we can see the effects of nurture and poor parenting and kids that are neglected and how that affects and impacts kids in such huge ways. And it's like, I'll take my extra X and being an awesome parent any day over, you know, that. And it's our duty as parents to set our kids up for success. I have to be confident in myself to do that for Theodore. Um, you know, it's not on him to be some unrealistically like perfect child that doesn't exist. And I want him to be him and comfortable and confident in that and embrace his uniqueness. It's like, that's, that's what I want for him. Yeah, you bring up a valid point. And one of the things I tell a lot of families, and I haven't really said it recently, but is your your son is like a third of mom and her genetics and her, you know, what's what's what comes from your family and and then a third of dad or or, or donor sperm or however that happens. And um and then he's a third Kleinfelter syndrome, but Kleinfelter is not the sum of who he is. Like it's a part of us, it's in our DNA. You can't take it away. I don't want it taken away. A lot of us don't want it taken away. It makes us who we are once we find our voice and once we're able to be confident about who we are. A lot of the guys live great, normal lives um, and quote unquote, you know, in normal in quotes uh, for all the people listening. Um, <clears throat> what the fact that you mentioned, you know, your son and, and um, let's kind of dive into him, right? Like, um, I, I, I'm not really, I'm sure a lot of the moms out there want to know about milestones and, and things like that of those natures, especially in the first year of life. But I, I kind of want to know about just like personality and the people that when you're, he's around people and what he likes to do for fun and, you know, favorite shows, things like that, like the human aspect. So he has a huge personality and from the time he was born, I mean, the kid came out and I swear his eyes were open. It was just like, he was alert. He was looking at everything. He was just such an observer from the get go. And we would always joke because it was just like, 
not only was he looking at everything, but he was from such a young age, like constantly babbling and making noise. And he has one, he has two half sisters, but one is like very talkative. And we were like, oh my God, as soon as the two of these <laughs> get going, we will never have a quiet moment in this house because from the jump, he just was a little chatty Kathy and taking in everything. And he just has this natural, people gravitate towards him. It is this natural pull and anywhere we go, the grocery store out running errands, it is like people will just come to him and he eats it up. He loves it. He <laughs> so um, now that he's getting older though, I mean, he is fast. He's in everything. He wants to be where his sisters are and he is obsessed with Super Mario Brothers. It's like everything is Mario. We're out in the store. He sees something Mario and he screams and it's like, ma, ma. And people are like, oh, he's saying mom. And I'm like, no, he's saying Mario. <laughs> like, forget me, forget mom. He wants Mario. Um, but he is so, he just has such a big personality already. And I will say like one thing for mobility and activity and also social skill development. But um, there's a local gymnastics center here and they do open gym and the kids can just go and run around. And we've got him going in that for the last couple of months. And the way I've seen him in his social interactions has changed so much in doing that. And also just in his like confidence and his physical abilities. Um, it has impacted him in such positive ways and going to this gymnastics center and running around and playing on the equipment and playing with other kids, but he will come home and he will like stand on our, we have this big chair and he'll count down in his cute little three, two, one baby voice. And he will just like WWE fly off the chair into the pillows and get up and he'll be laughing hysterically and he'll do it all over again. <laughs> so he's, he's a daredevil. He loves his sisters. He loves his dogs. He loves to play. I mean, the kid is just amazing. And I say he's like any other kid, but you know, of course he's my kid and I'm his mom. And so I'm like, pretty awesome. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and how are the developmental uh, milestones going? Everything is great. So, okay. Kind of rolling back, you had asked about early childhood intervention. So that is something we really just started going on because he really has been hitting all of his marks. And we had his 18 month checkup with our primary care. And at that point I asked, Hey, you know, do you think this is something we should explore? And he said, yeah. Um, and just more in preparation for school and making sure if any delays are coming up as far as uh, speech or anything around kind of learning delays that we're addressing them ahead of, of school age. So we are just getting that set up for him. We haven't really needed it um, until now because physically he's been hitting all of his marks and then as far as speech delays go, he's maybe not saying 
full complete words, but he's very communicative. We know what he's trying to say. He, we know what he's trying to indicate. Um, and so there's no real concern there in a delay as of right now, but we're just trying to stay on top of it and make sure he's, he's prepped and ready to go. Yeah. I would definitely say one of the things that I've noticed is that, you know, you nailed it. We're observers. Um, all the little boys are observers. Um, everyone, every mom that I talk to, they say their sons are observers at some point, um, like to watch and and look around. And, um, one of the things I would say is I'd say our, our comprehension of understanding is like through a lot of us, it's through the roof. And then our expressive language is on the lower side. Um, it just takes, there's something there that just takes us a little longer to find our voice or find, and, and I'm, I'm getting, I'm trying to get to the bottom of it, but, um, it's, it's going to be a research project and it's going to take a long time. Um, but there's something there that just to look out for, you know, the expressive aspect of, of that communication. Um, so kind of, you know, I, I wanted to just ask you, like, why did you want to be do this podcast and why did you want to share your story? Well, I found living with XXY, I think when I reached out to you, maybe Theo was 17 months. I mean, I was I was late in finding you guys. And I feel like coming off of his first year and all of the stress that I felt around kind of this regimen set up by a genetics counselor and what do I need to do and I need to stay on top of it and then getting to the other side of it it's like oh my gosh my kid is amazing he's totally fine why did I stress out about this well then I came across your group and I was reading more and more stories and it was like here are parents who have kids with XXY men who are living with XXY And it just was such this positive, amazing community. And seeing everyone share their experience and share their stories. And to me, it was like, I wish I had had this information when I was pregnant and in that first year. And if my story and Theo's story can help, then I want to help. Um, And seeing the statistics too of, you know, parents and families getting that XXY diagnosis in a, in a early genetic test and making a decision to abort the pregnancy, that is heartbreaking to me. And if, if someone can look at Theodore and say, you know, I feel completely comfortable and confident that I can do this and I can be a parent and this isn't a big deal then I want to share it from, you know, shout it from the rooftops. I want to be able to help parents understand and not feel that stress and not feel overwhelmed. You know, these kids are amazing kids. And I will say, like, it's like Theodore is like any other kid. I know genetically he is not like every other kid. But as far as everything else goes, he likes all the stuff that kids like and he's doing all the things that kids love to do and he's having this amazing childhood experience and i i know that things will come up but that's with anyone you know it's not specific to kleinfelters any kid is going to grow up and face challenges so yeah i think i I think the thing here is is that we're hiding in plain sight 
And for a lot of families in our community, it's easier to hide behind the shadows than open up and, and put themselves out into that into that light where they they are worried about facing judgment, whether it's their son being judged or them being judged for having a kid with um, that's not on that's neurodivergent, right? That's not the typical neuro um, neurotypical kid. And and um, the one question I have for you, and I know that we're getting to kind of the end of this podcast, is that you know. Did you ever think about like, this is your son's story to share versus this is our story to share and, and kind of opening up? I think that's where a lot of the families in our community are really um, like bent, like they're kind of stuck is they think they, they're, they're stuck on the, well, it's my son's diagnosis. It's his story to share. Um, and they, they sit there and they, they're like, well, it's his story to share. So we, we'll tell him when he's like 12 or 13 and we'll give him that opportunity to share it if he wants. And, you know, why do you think opening up and sharing it from a mom's perspective of of a kid that, you know, maybe can't advocate for himself is so important? So I guess I hadn't really given it much thought beyond, you know, we told family and friends until I found your group and living with XXY and seeing what an impact it could have and also seeing those statistics, something that I just wasn't aware of um, because that was pretty shocking to me. And just, um, I remember talking to my partner about it and like, oh my gosh, there are like a lot of people out there making a decision based off of these test results and not really having a full picture or really having a, a full understanding. And also knowing like our experience with our, our doctors is probably not the norm. And so not only are you not getting a complete picture, but you're maybe also getting things presented in a very negative light. And so I think, yes, it is Theodore's diagnosis and it is his story, but if it's going to help someone make a decision to have a baby that's going to love you and make your life full and complete, you know, if it's going to positively impact someone to make a different decision or seek a different doctor or find a second opinion, that's the goal here. And we are going to be very open with Theodore, you know, I know he won't understand it right away, but let him know that this is something that is special about you, but it's also something that can positively impact other people. And your story is one that's worth sharing. And I want him to embrace that. And I've said, you know, I have no doubt that maybe he could change the world and maybe that's the world of Kleinfelters and how people understand it and like what you're doing right now. Um, and so it's a huge positive impact and I want to thank you because really, I mean, you inspired me to, to reach out and say, Hey, I found you. And in all of the time I've been stressing about this stuff, I found your group and, oh my gosh, I wish I'd found you guys like a year ago. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I do think to add on to your, your kind of, I know I sprung that question on the spot, but to add to your thing is it's it's parents' story to share as well. And if your son can't advocate for himself, 
who's going to advocate for him. And the thing yeah. about the thing about this is that we're, we are hiding in plain sight and we can hide in the shadows. But if we continue to do that, things won't change. And so things won't, you know, the old outdated studies won't, won't get, you know, people won't learn about Kleinfelder syndrome in a different light that they've been learning for the last 80 years. If, if parents like you don't step up and, you know, talk about it and, and think about, you know, what good they're, what good they're going to do for their son in that environment. And I think it is changing because more and more parents are like yourself are looking at it through like, well, my son's here for a reason. And, and I mean, you got, you didn't think you were going to get pregnant and you did. And, and so, um, I really do appreciate, you know, having you on and, and sharing your story today. Is there anything else that we kind of haven't touched base on that you wanted to say or anything that you tell moms out there? So, I mean, I guess for me and what would be the most helpful kind of tidbits of information, um, talking to an endocrinologist and doing that sooner rather than later, having a primary care doctor that you trust and can talk openly with, um, sharing your experience with others. So for me, after I found you guys, I'll say like I made a post on my personal Facebook page and that was the first time I announced to everyone that Theo was diagnosed with XXY. And through just making that post and whoever saw it, I have talked to three moms dealing with NIPT uh, results of XXY, feeling scared, passing along resources, passing along my information, helping, I think, helping them understand that Kleinfelter's is not this big, scary thing. It's not a negative. It's going to be okay. Try not to stress. So just sharing that, um, I feel like I've already made a difference uh, for somebody. And so for parents who, who have kids with XXY, you know, sharing your story, sharing your photos, sharing your videos, like these kids are amazing. And there's no reason to, like you said, we need to advocate for them, but also advocate for other kids out there. So don't hesitate on sharing your experience and your story because you never know who's going to read it and how it's going to impact them. That's such a good point. I mean, the fact, and then that one of the other things I tell parents like, like you and, and is that your son is one, one, like, you know, maybe almost two and almost two. <laughs> almost two. And he's already had the opportunity by his story being out there. He's already had the opportunity to say, potentially save other boys' lives, other brothers, just like him. Um, you know, that he could potentially meet one day in person and he, you know, he already has had that opportunity. What one and two year old has the opportunity to save a life of, of someone else by sharing their story, you know, having their story story shared. And, and that's something to be proud of and parents to tell their kids, you know, when they can comprehend it and understand that, Hey, like, look, look what you've done with your life already. And when those kids have challenges or they're getting bullied or, you know, whatever depression or however life, you know, goes for their life, they can always look back at those moments and think about those things and know that like, regardless of what I'm going through now, I had the opportunity to do something like that when I was a kid. And 
not very many people out there get the opportunity to save a life. It's, it's, um, you know, it's something that still humbles me to this day. Every time I get a mom that reaches out and says like, Hey, living with XXY is the reason why our son's here. Um, it's still, it still hits me hard and, and every single one does. And, um, it's, it's great to just have someone like you, a part of the community wanting to share and inspire others out there to get on the podcast or share on, you know, a reel with us on Instagram or, or however it may be. Um, some, and I'm super proud that you kind of put it out there on your personal Facebook or personal Instagram. A lot of guys and people have done that. They've said that they've just had, they've been worried about the judgment all along, but when they did it, it was just nothing but support. Yeah. And it was really something I, I guess I wish I had done it sooner. You know, me and my partner, Adam, we had said, we don't want Theo to just be known as his diagnosis. You know, we don't want that to be his identity. So it wasn't really something we had openly shared. But after I came across living with XXY and I told him, I just said, oh my gosh, you know, reading all of these stories and I feel like I've learned so much more than I've been able to learn from really any doctor or anything I've read. And I feel like it is important for us to talk about this because yeah, when I was pregnant and when I was going through that first year, I wish I had known, I wish I had had someone's firsthand account of what does this look like? What am I, what do I need to expect? What am I going to go through? You know, what does it look like? Um, and in just sharing that, I honestly believe we have positively impacted at least three women. You know, they directly reached out to me. I talked to them. I answered questions. And I just want to say as a part of this, anyone who is, is going through the early genetic testing or you're going through that first year, they can reach out to me. I'm happy to talk to them more um, and help in any way that I can. And so it's it's huge. I think the more parents talk about it, the more that adults living with XXY, the more that we're talking about it, it's just creating more community. It's really creating a positive and a safe space. Um, and something that I know Theo, as he gets older, he's going to be proud of. I'll leave it at that. You you couldn't have said it better. And and thank just thank you so much for spending the last hour with us. I'll link your uh, social media in the comments of this podcast. So people that have gotten this far that want to contact you and reach out, um, we'll also make a post on social media for this podcast. So everyone that sees it can reach out to you and talk to you if if that's um, since that's something that you uh, wanted to do. And just thank you yeah. so much. And it's been incredible having you on. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it so much. You're doing amazing work.